the market has essentially shifted to more in line with the the Fed view. Uh, but my key takeaway from from Powell's comments was essentially that the the Fed is being data dependent. And, you know, really it's about their view of the path of inflation. And that's where the difference of opinion of the, the market's view and the Fed view is. It's around really where inflation is going to go from here. Hi, this is ETF.com's Exchange Traded Fridays podcast, where we discuss all the latest developments in the ETF industry on a weekly basis. I'm managing editor Heather Bell, and I'm joined by my longtime colleague, senior ETF analyst, Samit Roy. Hey, Samit. Hey, Heather. Happy Friday. Yeah, exactly. We're speaking with Chris Humer today. He's the senior investment strategist for the FlexShares ETFs, which are issued by Northern Trust Asset Management. Hi, Chris. Good to have you back with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Hi, Heather. Hi, Samit. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. Always a good chat when you're on, Chris. Um, I know Smeet has some burning questions he wants to start off with. Yeah, Chris. So obviously we've seen a lot of recent macro developments, things like inflation and the jobs report, and they seem to be a little bit, you know, hotter than people expected. The jobs report obviously was a blowout. Then even the inflation number was a little bit higher than some people were hoping for. I'm curious, what do you think this all means for interest rates and the economy in general? Sure. And, and as you mentioned, there's a lot to unpack here of what we've experienced in the first half of February, starting with the Fed meeting, the jobs report, and then obviously the, the, the CPI numbers uh, that came out a couple of days ago, as well as even the retail numbers that, that came out uh, on the 15th as well. So a lot of information to, to, to process here and unpack. I, I think at the start of the month, with the Fed decision to raise rates uh, a quarter of base, basis points, you know, the the big, for me, the big takeaway that came from that was really from Powell's comments about, you know, where rates are and what, what the Fed is looking at and what the market is looking at. And that where we've seen rates have gone uh, in the market consensus standpoint is, is they've come in line with where the Fed has essentially been talking about the, their positioning for the year that, you know, they were talking about a terminal rate somewhere around five, five and a quarter. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll see if the the, the data uh, warrants that, uh, warrants higher or lower from that perspective. And then the expectation from the Fed is that they are going to be at that terminal rate for an extended period of time, where if you looked at the market's consensus, even going back to the end of January, it was essentially that they would peak and that we would have uh, rates coming down in the second half of the year. The market has essentially shifted to more in line with the, the Fed view. Uh, but my key takeaway from, from Powell's comments was essentially that the, the Fed is being data dependent. And you know really, it's about their view of the path of inflation. And that's where the difference of opinion of the, the market's view and the Fed view is, is it's around really where inflation is going to go from here. And I think that is one of the things that in, in some ways is a positive in that we could all focus on inflation and the different drivers that we are seeing in inflation. We can kind of talk about the, the number we saw a couple of days ago and, and why some are viewing that as a disappointment. Uh, and, and, and really, but from a positive standpoint, I think that is 
that the Fed's being data dependent uh, means that what we see from an inflation standpoint is really going to drive the Fed's decisions, which from the market standpoint, uh, they can get behind because it means that the Fed, in their opinion, will act rational. Uh, and if inflation comes down, the Fed will uh, react uh, positively and, and maybe bring rates down sooner than they're forecasting. Uh, however, if we see inflation be stickier uh, than expected, that would mean that the Fed would be in line with what they're doing and potentially even uh, look at a terminal rate higher than what they were essentially talking about at the beginning of the month at the Fed uh, at the Fed meeting on the first, which was you know five five and a quarter. Looking at where they were predicting the terminal rate, if you what what the markets are predicting now is their predict you know the 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 likelihood of twenty five basis point hikes at the next two meetings in March and May, and then. Based off of the data we saw from both the the CPI print as well as the 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 data that's that's come out since around retail sales is the the market is predicting about a sixty seven percent chance of a third rate hike coming in June or July, which is 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 a, a shift from what we've seen, but it's really being reflected in the data. And, and I think that inflation information is, is really the key. Uh, we're seeing services still be the, 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 the big sticking point. Inflation from goods has come down. Uh, so when we think about from a transitory standpoint, that piece of it has, has come back, has started to fall. But the numbers around uh, Housing, uh, which everybody believes will turn over, the the data uh, is the rental data is showing that it'll turn over, but it hasn't yet. And then finally, uh, the services number, which is really where the labor market is, and and the tightness we're seeing in the labor market is, is driving that. So, but again, we can unpack that further on the inflation side, but I think that is one of the key sticking points today. Yeah, Chris. And then you mentioned that inflation number. It used to be that we just looked at, you know, core inflation, just trip out food and energy. And it's as simple as that. But nowadays, even Fed Chair Powell, he's pointing to core services, excluding housing. What do you think about that? Are we seeing any progress being made in bringing that category of inflation down? Yeah, and that, and that's really where the labor is coming in because if you think of the components uh, that make up inflation, you know, housing is is a large component. You know, makes up thirty four percent of it. And the general consensus is that you know the while the numbers in housing, which tend to lag, has not turned over yet and has not come down. The view is that if you look at you know data around rental markets and and housing prices, is we're seeing that be more reflected in the data, and so. The expectation is that housing will come down. It's really the services and the labor market that is driving the inflation being stickier. And so that's what the Fed is zeroing in on. And thus markets are, are zeroing in as well. And I think that if I think about from a, an inflation standpoint, these next six months are, are going to be really key from uh, an inflation standpoint, because if you think about it year over year, these were the months last year that had the largest inflation numbers that we saw the largest prints month over month. And so those are going to be rolling off. And so we would expect 
inflation would be falling, but the question is how far it's going to fall. So for example, you know, we had a print of 0.5 for January of 2023. That replaces the January 2022 print of 0.6 in the 12, 12 month rolling number. So that's why we've seen inflation fall. Uh, and we have some pretty large prints when you think about what happened in March of 2022, May, June, you're talking about prints of 1%, uh, 90 basis points and 1.2%. Uh, so large numbers that will be rolling off and that should bring inflation down, but really how low we're gonna get is gonna be key over these next six months. Got it. Got it. So it, it sounds like, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty when it comes to inflation, but it does seem like the market has come around kind of to the Fed's view that they're going to take rates up to five, maybe in five and a half percent. But at the same time, we're seeing, uh, interestingly, the stock market brushing off, you know, the idea that rates are going to go up for, you know, at least another uh, two or three times. And even the bond market is brushing it off to some extent. If you look at the 10-year treasury yield, a full one and a half percent below where the Fed funds rates expected to be a few months from now. Is this just a case of the market continuing to price in a soft landing? Yeah, I think you hit on it that markets are discount mechanisms. So, you know, our view is that while we still expect fundamentals to soften, soften the, the market is essentially looking past the short term, whether you call it a soft landing or, or whatever uh, the, the moderating growth that we see. Uh, and the expectation is that, you know, going forward, we'll be in a positive position. So I, the view is that the market is essentially looking past uh, the softening fundamentals and we'll, the, we'll seeing sentiment improve. Now, I would say is that if we look at where the rally has been uh, over the last two month and a half, you know, to the start of 2023, it has been essentially uh, a reversal of what we saw towards the end of last year. And so you're seeing a lot of what I, what I would say, poor quality companies or poor fundamental companies do well. We're also seeing growth do well. Um, and the expectation is as things modulate or as we see more of a view of rates and inflation and more, get more clarity around that, the expectation would probably around be around where you know, this is an environment where value tends to do well, where we would expect quality to to do well. And, and so maybe some of those those trends that we've seen would reverse. Uh, but generally speaking, I think that is, uh, you know, what's happening here is that the, the market is essentially looking forward and, and kind of using that as, as a forecast over the future and not just what might be some short term pain we see in the, in the near term. In light of all that macro information and what you said about quality and value, how do you think investors should be positioning themselves in the current environment? Yeah, um, you know, from from that standpoint, you know, I think the the key thing that I, I see in markets is there is going to be all the the changing conditions and the uncertainty out there that volatility is going to stay high. Uh, so so looking at ways to modulate volatility in, in, in your portfolio makes a lot of sense. Uh, so low volatility strategies. Uh, definitely are something that that I would look at. Uh, additionally, you know, like I said, the the rally has been in 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 the lesser higher quality uh, areas of the market. Uh, my view is that with higher labor costs that we're seeing, as we talked about with the the CPI numbers, 
higher input costs uh, as we see you know, supply chains still become more resilient uh, to shocks to the system, which more resilient means maybe trading some, some low cost or efficiency for more durability. So some additional costs there. And as financing costs rise, I really believe that we're going to see a difference between the those strongly run companies and those poorly run companies. And so uh, those companies that are, in our view, higher quality, I think, should do well in this kind of environment. And so high quality, low volatility, those are areas when I look at equities, make a lot of sense. Um, you know, our view is is leaning more towards developed markets, both US and developed XUS. I would say that from a developed XUS standpoint, uh, we're, we're seeing very attractive valuations even compared to the US. Uh, and that was before the most recent run-up run in, in US equities. But uh, I think in general, we're, we're in favor of developed markets over emerging markets, just from uh, a certainty standpoint, uh, more clarity around the data. I would say that when we look at Europe, um, some of the most dire tail risk scenarios of a deep recession are probably uh, the likelihood of those has, has diminished quite substantially thanks to the, the warmer, uh, warmer winter. and. Um, the worst case of like say engine and energy rationing has really been taken off the table. So, you know, with those kind of ideas in mind, uh, you know, developed XUS markets are, are an attractive place the same way that U S markets are. Gotcha. What are kind of the, like you had said that uh, developed markets offered kind of more certainty is the Ukraine and Russia situation affecting that at all right now? Yeah, it's something that continually affects markets uh, and, and will have an impact going forward as, as more data comes out and more information. And uh, again, it's, it's another source of volatility in markets. Uh, so it's not just U.S. markets. And I'm not just talking about equity markets, but also fixed income markets. I would expect to be more volatile. But, uh, you know, when I would expect developed markets uh, to be volatile, wh whether it's because of events that happen in Ukraine or uh, other shocks to the system, whether it, it's from an inflationary standpoint or from a monetary stand, a monetary policy standpoint as well, uh, those will all have an impact. And so I would just expect more volatility in, in markets across the board generally. I know that two of the biggest flex shares ETFs uh, cover natural resources and infrastructure. And I was wondering, what do you see lying ahead for those two kind of rather broad categories? Yeah, you know, I, I still think that in inflationary periods, which we are still well, well immersed in right now, that in inflationary periods, that real assets are a key portion of a portfolio. And I, I, I would argue even in normal inflationary environments like we experienced over the last 10 years, having real assets as a diversified portfolio makes sense, but even more so in these inflationary environments. And so both natural resources and infrastructure are, are two ways to diversify your equity fixed income conventional 60-40 portfolio uh, that, that investors should be considering. You know, natural resources is, is a great exposure, you know, to get access to uh, those raw materials that are inputs across the board, 
Uh, and so we view that uh, as it's one of our overweights in our strategic portfolio today. Um, and the reason for that is one, uh, it gives us a little bit of inflation protection. It also, uh, natural resources has exposure to emerging markets. So while we are uh, favoring developed markets over emerging markets, having an overweight to natural resources also gives us a, a, hedge, a, hedge, a hedge to the upside for emerging markets from, from that perspective. Uh, and then infrastructure is, is a great uh, asset class, particularly in this type of environment, because it's, it tends to be more defensively oriented and, and less volatile than the conventional uh, global equity market for a couple of reasons. One, you're talking about mission critical uh, goods and services. So you're talking about things like um, utility companies, water and wasteland uh, pipeline companies for energy. Uh, talking about things like hospitals, cellular towers, fiber optic cables, all those mission critical goods and services we need, whether we're in a booming economy or in a recession, everybody needs access to potable water, everybody needs access to, to waste management, everybody needs access to information these days. And so um, these are usually mission critical goods that um, tend to be inelastic to the macro environment. And so they tend to do well in these types of defensive periods. And it's a good defensive asset to add uh, in that real asset bucket as well. Chris, uh, what about fixed income ETFs? I just wrote up a piece on how ultra short-term bond ETFs are pretty interesting in the current environment as you know they give investors exposure to those high and rising yields, but without interest rate risk. I know you guys have an ETF, RAVI, that kind of fits into that category. What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, you know we we do have a cash position in our portfolio right now as dry powder, uh, and I think when you think about ultra short, the the nice thing that I see about yields today is that because uh, we we the Fed has raised raised rates and we're at the current levels, uh, if there is you know there there is some benefit from a term exposure today. So if rates do come down. Uh, you'll benefit from that in in your fixed income portfolios where when we were at the the low levels of you know three, four years ago, you didn't have that benefit of rates you know of of rates going lower and, and getting that appreciation in your fixed income portfolio. I do like the the ultra short if if you know we talk about our exposure uh, in fixed income around the lines of terming credit. Uh, I think that you know the reward for credit exposure is, is there, particularly in the high yield space. Uh, and so that is attractive to me, where from a term perspective, I think being in an ultra short portfolio uh, makes a lot of sense of giving you that exposure with not having uh, some of that, that long, dur uh, long duration risk that you could have going further out the curve. Chris, that was really interesting stuff. We're going to have to end it there, though. Thanks so much for joining us uh, for this episode. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Heather. Thanks, Samit. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find this and all other Exchange Traded Fridays podcast episodes on ETF.com or on any major podcast platform. See you next week. Mm -hmm.